It's very cool to be on your show, guys. My name is Lewin Kreev, and I'm the producer of The Unfamiliar. I'm Henk Pretorius, the writer and director of The Unfamiliar. In a world where zombies, ghosts, serial killers, and vampires all exist, it's Nico, Brian, Mike, and Dustin, and they are all that stand between you and the films that could end the world. Welcome to the Don't Go Out There Horror Movie Podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to the Don't Go Out There Horror Movie Review Podcast. Just want to thank all our fans and listeners. We really appreciate the support, and we're really excited about this episode tonight. We've got two new friends on the show, and we're going to talk about their movie they're producing. With us, we have Hank and Llewellyn, co-founders of the British-based production house, Dark Matter Studios. They've accomplished nearly everything as independent filmmakers and have now signed a cinema deal with the U.S. and U.K., for their new independent horror film, The Unfamiliar. Hank, Llewellyn, thank you for joining us. How are y'all doing? Thank Good, you very thanks. much, thanks man. It's a pleasure to be here. So, guys, um, you know, we, we got a little bit of a sneak peek uh, of your trailer, and the movie looks looks amazing. I uh, can't wait for uh, for everybody else to see it. Um, can you tell us a little bit about uh, The Unfamiliar? Uh, so it's basically about a British uh, army doctor comes back from war thinking – She's got PTSD, only to find out there's something more sinister going on in her house. So, so that's a, basically the elevator pitch. Okay. Um, does the movie have a little bit more of a like a philosophical or like a hidden meaning than uh, than what you just described? Maybe. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. So, it's the the word the unfamiliar gives you a clue of the subtextual, uh, the poignancy of the film, and it actually delves into uh, the idea that we face the unfamiliar all the time in our lives as per very relevant at the moment. And we're not sure when we come back from war, if our family is going to be the same. I mean, so it's a mother coming back from war and her children has changed. She doesn't know. She's looking at a young kid. He's behaving very odd. She's looking at her husband. He's behaving out of character. And she doesn't know whether the war changed her whether the fa- her family changed or where does she fit into the family nucleus. And that idea gets escalated as we go to Hawaii and we delve into a very unfamiliar mythology. And so it explodes into her face of like, what is going on? And that's really like the purpose of the plot was to leave you breadcrumbs all along the, the film to just leave you little clues of where we think we're going. And sometimes we surprise you and sometimes we lead you in another direction. But at the end of the day, everything about this movie and the way it's structured is unfamiliar. Oh, yeah, guys, this is a this has been a weird year. Uh, can you <laughs> tell us? Can you just can you just break it down and tell us what it's like to produce a movie during this quarantine and the this crazy year of 2020? Yeah, I think I think on the outset, as an independent producer, you you always have challenges. Uh, but this has been like if your challenge is a fire, somebody just threw napalm on top of the fire and it just became <laughs> right. much bigger. 
But to be honest, we, we, the, one, the one place where we were very lucky is that we had managed to wrap production before, obviously, the pandemic took place. But as you know, from a producing perspective, you know, once you've actually produced the film, that's only half your job. The other half of the job is actually to get it out to the audience and to sell it and to, you know, make sure that you have a, a really strong marketing plan, that you're teaming up with the right distributors. And we managed to pull that off. Actually, Hank and I left the U.S., mid-February to come back to the UK and then I came back to South Africa and shortly after that we did the deal with um, you know vertical for the US and then we did the deals for the UK and for South Africa and then all the other territories but I think to answer your question during the pandemic the biggest challenge now is to get through all the noise because the cinemas have closed you know cinemas are sporadically opening but no one really knows what to do they've done surveys some people don't want to go because they're afraid of of you know, the, the fear that the, the media has shown them. Other people want to go, but they're not sure if the numbers are going to be there. And then you've got the studios who have spent a lot of money, you know, big budgets, big marketing, and you've got the independents who have, you know, a range of different budget levels, which is us. But what has happened now is that everyone's attention is, is online. So that audience has moved from the cinema right onto their couch and subscribed to Netflix or Hulu or, or whatever their, their choice is. And now you've got to go, okay, fine. The good thing for myself and Hank and what's exciting for us is that we feel like we're sort of in a in a field now where we've all been given a hunting rifle and we're sort of going for the same game because at the moment there's no competition on how many billboards you can get and how many adverts on the buses and stuff like that. Everything has gone online. So your message has to be so strong, to be so clear, and you have to get through all that noise and still get to that horror fan or that, you know, that, that fan that wants to see the film and say to them, look, you're being presented with all of this, but we want you to watch ours first, and this is why. So I think that challenge is always there, but I think more so there because everybody is online now. So you, you're online not just with your film, you're online with everyone else that is fighting for that tension economy from the consumer. So, I mean, that that is very challenging. But so far, we've been you know, working 12 hours a day because we've got nowhere else to go and right. uh, just work on the marketing <laughs> plan and get it out to the audience. Absolutely. Um, speaking of the audience, I mean, you guys have had quite a journey. You're going from the comedy to the horror genre. Um, you know, are, are there any similarities or any differences, you know, between the two genres there? Yeah. So uh, some of my first films were comedies and it was teen comedies. It was so much fun looking back at it now. Like, right. I, mean, I, I really like I don't know about you guys, but I, I really, really, really like missed that time. Like we just have fun. And, um, and so there, there were teen comedies and I analyzed the timing kind of in retrospect. Cause when I, when I made them, um, and I, and I wrote them, I was like just in the moment writing these films for this market. But, and then I thought, Oh, there was an actual timing to a laugh. And there's an actual timing to creating tension. And then I started realizing how much of that is similar in horror, where you create a scare and, you know, you have a setup, setup, punchline and a laugh and you have a setup, setup, scare and in, in, in a horror film. But if you do the setup a little differently, you get an offbeat laugh if you're talking comedy and then you get a, a offbeat um, sort of scare, which is sometimes scarier. So the, right. the timing, if you look at almost like from a musical perspective uh, and when you're making a horror, it's very similar to comedy. And, and, and there was so much I learned. But, of course, the genre and the way it translates, it's much more intensive in horror. 
that you actually need to know the filmmaking process behind it. When comedy, you know, we, we can make a comedy like we, we're sitting here and I can cut to you and cut to back to me and maybe have like establishing shot and we can be funny as hell and people could watch it like all the stand-up comedians you see. But in right. horror, you need so much of the medium. So it's it's such a medium intensive film that you need the sum of all parts. You need music, you need score, you need... You need every single performance to be in line and believable. And at the same time, you need the comedy of the, uh, the, the, the timing of those scares to be 100% perfect for it to work. So in that way, it's more challenging. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh yeah. oh, yeah, definitely. Can you tell us a little bit about casting of Jemima West in The Unfamiliar? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the casting process is always, um, it's either the most fun or the most challenging. Uh, we actually cast people from from different countries, to be honest. I mean, even though the film was shot in the US, sorry, in the UK, we, you know, Jemima is a sort of Anglo um, French actress, lives in Paris. Um, and then we've got Chris Dane, who's, who's Danish. And then we have Harry McMillan Hunt, who's the little boy. He's he's originally from Australia. And then we have Rebecca Hansen, who is a mixture of Scandinavian and Scottish ancestry. So it was it was nice to cast such a plethora of different people to to the role. But I think the casting process for myself and Henk is always really fun because we go into this always together and quite close knit as a team. Um, he already knows he has an idea of what he wants to go for. And then because we're both on the same page every time, that makes the process so much easier. We had um, a casting director called Sophie Holland, who was fantastic. Um, and then Tori Butler-Hart, she helped with casting as well. And and with Jemima, the, the big thing was what I always try my best to do is, I mean, obviously on the production side, I'm handling the, the finance and the logistics. I try and sort of get that out of the way as soon as possible and just get them to speak to Hank because obviously as soon as the talent and the director speak to each other, that's where the sort of real chemistry comes. You know, as soon as there's that Skype call or that coffee meeting um, where they go, okay, cool, this is my vision, this is my story. When that happens and and the and the cast member agrees, the rest is just negotiation, to be honest. Because a lot of times that you, you you know, it's so tough in our business. They sort of throw the carriage in front of the horse. It's like, let's talk money, 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 money. And I'm like, well, we can talk it, but like, does he or she want to do it? Can we find that out first? Otherwise, we're spending two or three weeks doing this dance and it's right. not even going to happen. So I try and, 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 I, and I know it's tough. I know why, because there's only so many actors and actresses in the world. So it's very difficult and they can't look at everything. But you've got to try and, you know, as a producer, you've got to try and get through that noise as soon as possible and try and get the director and the talents in front of each other as soon as possible, because once they've made that agreement, then she'll know where her agent or manager can push, and I'll know where we can push the budget. Then it makes it much easier. But that's always like what I'm going for first, is just to let the director and the talent speak, because once that's done, you know, the rest is, you know, the rest is just business. Absolutely. You uh, briefly brought up Harry McMillan Hunt uh, that plays the role of Tommy. Um, what would you, you know, tell the audience about how his character – you know, differs from the quote unquote, you know, possessed kid trope that we've kind of gotten over the years in, in other horror movies. Yeah, I, I, I thought I thought you guys might ask that because it was like a <laughs> the, the horror trope to me is it's such an overused trope. Right. But at the, mm. at the same time, there's a way to misguide an audience with tropes. So the, the only thing I can give away at this point is, is that uh, Harry McMillan Hunt is one of the most amazing actors I've ever worked with. As a, and, and you always say, don't you work with children, don't work with animals. And we did both of those two things. <laughs> and, and, water, water. and water. And water. Yeah, and water, <laughs> exactly. So so we did all three of those. And But the thing with Harry McMillan Hunt is he's not what you expect. 
He's not. We're using him as a little bit of a misguiding force um, in the marketing and also. But the, the way his journey develops is something truly unique. But at the same time, I look at the horror audience and I go, wow, these it's such I love that idea of a horror family. Like, like to me, you know, we've been talking about it quite uh, in length with, with Luella and myself and like this whole group of people like really getting the genre and really delving deep into it. And, and with creating this, these tropes, I really had to study them because it, it, it was a, it was like a, a course I had to do in, in understanding the horror genre of all these tropes, the, the way they use the camera, the way they use the, the sound, which we previously talked about, but, but also how I can use these horror tropes in a unique way and show you maybe an angle you haven't seen before, but the same at the same time paying homage to what it is. Yes, it's a spooky kid. Yes, he may be possessed, but in what way? In which way? That's right. I mean that's the ingredient, right? You know. Absolutely. Oh yeah, definitely. Can you talk to us a little bit about the Hawaiian myth mythological creatures in this film? That's kind of something different I haven't seen. Yeah. So so. Uh, it was a co-writer, Jennifer Nicole Stagg, that brought this really thick book, and she's quite intellectual. She brought this really thick book to me to read, which I I I, I started reading at some point, but luckily she read the entire thing and then summarized it for me. <laughs> <laughs> and it was really like intellectual. It was like my, I mean, this is my second language, you know. This was big words, and she read <laughs> the entire thing, you know. And and I I looked at it after she presented it. And there was these a wine mythology in that I've never met. I've never seen these characters. I've started googling them afterwards, and I see oh, there's a Kaimoni, there's a a Night Marcher, there's a Magina. What does these characters mean? And they have these amazing rituals and amazing culture in Hawaii that I wasn't aware of. Because you think Hawaii, you think people are going to put like flowers around your neck and you're going to have a good time and you're going to sit in a hotel. But there's a there's an entire world out there that some of us never get to see. And I, I think that delving into that was, was part of the fun of making the unfamiliar. Right. I mean, and I don't know how much you can tell us, but uh, you just brought up the uh, night marcher right there. Um, you know, can, can you tell us, you know, what that is a little bit? And, and um, you know, I actually heard that there were, you know, some real actual tours in Hawaii where, where you can meet one of those. So a night marcher is, is, is part of the Hawaiian mythology that they actually think that if you see a night marcher, which you have to lie down, take off all your clothes and not look it in the eye. That is actually what you have to do. Oh, okay. So, you know, so, so this is, this is, it's a great first date experience to go. Right. Tour, I think. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it might be nice, but um, so what, what happens is, you got you go for these tours and th this guy takes you out and it's obviously your ancestors uh, maybe a night marcher and if your ancestors a night marcher you're safe you're okay but if your ancestors unfortunately not a night marcher and maybe you're not a wine and you go to Hawaii and you meet a night marcher and you don't lie down you you might you may die they might kill you so it's these ghosts that you you can't come in their path so they have a specific path and they have blow torches and they, they, they walk and they, they, they do these ritualistic almost sighs and, and, and singing and drumming and you hear them come and there's lights and stuff and then they walk towards you. And if, uh, if you don't lie down or you don't get out of its path, it, you, you may die. And that, that is something 
uh, that's very embedded in the wine culture. Wow, that's amazing. Hey, can y'all just tell us a little about how you came up with the design of the Kaimoni Demon? That's more Lou Allen's. Lou Allen contributed uh, to that quite mm. richly um, because the, the wine demon was, the Kaimoni Demon was almost like a bird that was in distress. So imagine imagine a bird's in distress and it's got all these feathers and it's always pulling its feathers because it's always hurting, you know, it's always hurting. So so that was the idea of the Kaimoni Demon and and then, I mean, we sat in a coffee shop, and I think you should tell the story about how the, the sound developed. Yeah, we were actually sitting in a coffee shop, and then we had a great um, sketch artist, Israel, who a lot of his, his sketches were sort of releasing on social media. And and he, and he sketched the idea of what the Kaimonia looks like. You can find some old sort of folk tales online about what they imagine the Kaimonia to look like. And the Kaimoni is obviously quite a fearful deal. I mean, the night marches, that's the only thing that they're sort of afraid of is the Kaimoni. The Kaimoni screams the night marches almost sort of get away. So it's top of the food chain kind of demon. And when we we were reading about it, uh, it made me remember when I was a kid, my my dad is like, he's really into pets. And we had these exotic birds and parrots and, and we collected a lot of them. And there was this one parrot specifically, it's an African gray. It's a very famous parrot that people have out here, and it's quite an intelligent parrot. It comes from the Congo originally, if I'm not mistaken. And they have the, the sort of vocabulary intelligence of a, like equivalent almost to like a four-year-old human being. So they're quite emotional, um, and they're quite attention-seeking, you know, as, as most toddlers of that age are. And we had this parrot, um, and what he would do is if we didn't put a blanket over him at night, he would feel distressed, and he makes these these horrible screeching sounds that goes through any human being it's just a horrible sound and when you get there you'll be sitting there and you'll be plucking its own feathers out almost in like anxiety you know you get people that will scratch themselves or cut themselves or everyone has like sort of a little thing with their anxiety and this parrot used to make this like blood gurgling sound when it screams and we were sitting in that coffee shop and we we're designing things and hank was talking about the claws and things and i said well imagine you know the kaimoni is this demon like character but has these feathers in its back but there's only remnants of it because of all the the torture that this demon goes through it just pulls its own feathers out the whole time it's almost like it leaves a trail of it behind as well and then that sound i mean because you've got to imagine anything that scares if the night marchers are scaring everyone what's going to scare a night marcher so it must be a sound that sort of just cuts through everything and just makes everyone know that the cabana is there so and i mean if you ever hear like the sound of a a tortured or screaming parrot. It, yeah, it's pretty unsettling. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I can't say that I have heard that lately. No. <laughs> um, look, I mean, look, I'm so glad you guys chose to go this route too, but you know, you chose to uh, use more practical effects, which we're definitely bigger fans of, you know, practical effects over CG. Um, you know, what, what made you guys choose to go that route? I, I, th- I think the idea of, um, 8k television scares us you know so the, the idea that people will actually get a television that sees all your cgi it's it's very scary you know so uh, old school is sometimes just better because yeah. yes it, it you know what i mean like it just takes more time to in camera think about it you've got to think okay what am i going to shoot here how's it going to cut together what are, what is the audience imagination capable of because the audience is so imaginative that I, I, I a lot of times believe less is more. So, yep. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So we don't even like with the Kaimoni and the Night Marches, you see glimpses of them, you see you see some of them, but we didn't stay on them. We had the monsters there, but the way we shot them was, was different to what people would expect 
if you just had this amazing caricatures there to to shoot. And we, we sort of had the same idea with the in-camera effects where we would show you someone dropping through a, uh, a table and we would physically figure out how would we do that. Or someone underneath a car that just drops to, towards her and we'll physically have a car there. And sometimes it's a little bit of a practical effect, but that will be physically a car. And I promise you, you feel it. Like there's nothing like a true reaction to an event watching it on an actress face, seeing the car dropping into the, sc the screen, and even me having sitting there in front of the monitor going, oh, you know, like this. <laughs> yeah. this. That is the reaction you'll, you'll have as an audience watching it because it was real, you know, and I, I think that, that authenticity plays such a big role, and the more in-camera effects you can do and, uh, and successfully do, the more authentic your emotions are, the more authentic your film feels, and the better it will age. Yeah, and I'm so yeah. glad you you brought that up about being a less is more thing because, you know, I mean, we love The Conjuring. I love The Conjuring. And, uh, you know, if you just look at that film, we, we re reviewed it. And I said this, you know, during that review, too, that, you know, the first half of that film, when you don't see all of the demon, it actually is, mm. is scary. It's it's terrifying, like because your yeah. mind fills in fills in those blanks and it makes it scarier and it actually yeah. lessens that whenever they finally you know do show you and they have the big finale in the third act it 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 honestly for me lessens the scare factor because now you don't have those blanks filled in now you've got you know what's in front of you so I, i'm glad you said that that's great absolutely yeah and your mind is you know the, that power of suggestion like even in, i mean there was this one scene in the conjuring where the little girl says it's standing behind the door and the camera shows you behind the door and you're looking in your brain starts designing something. You're like, is there something there? Isn't, I don't know. Is it? And, and I think that's so much better because sometimes if you make the monster too much of a character, then it's not that scary anymore because the monster is now almost part of the cast. Whereas if the yeah. monster is suggestive, it's never really a part of it. So the characters of the people under threat and the monsters always in the distance. Cause if you see the monster too much and there's a backstory, then you go, Oh, hang on. Now it just feels like a character in the movie. And that's very fine balance to get. Yeah, that's 100% what makes paranormal activity terrifying for me. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Exactly. At all. I have created this in my head. And, and <laughs> so. Exactly. Uh, talk to us about the search for the truth that's explored in the unfamiliar. I, I think that it ties, into, it ties into what I think of the horror family and, and, and the way – they dare to go into the darkness to find light. And I've, I've seen that over and over. You know, like I've always watched horror films. And Llewellyn actually asked me, listen, we, we got to do a horror film for our company. This is a good thing to do. He, he loves the genre. And I said, I don't know about it. And he, he dropped me this box of DVDs and stuff in front of my house. And it was the scariest two or three weeks of my life. I, I watched the DVD every night. <laughs> you know? uh, and it was, it was petrifying. Like, I, 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 I promise you. And, and then after, after three weeks of that, I started getting into it. And I, and I started seeing the thematics. And I started exploring how people are brave enough to go to a dark place to find light. And you've mentioned the conjuring. Now, I'm not a, I'm not a very religious person. After the conjuring, I prayed. I, 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 I had a prayer because I was like, 
Because who's scared I'm going to pray? And it was the first time in 10 years. So, so even the even a horror film like that, which you think like it's about demons and it's about this and that, it made me pray. You know, so if if that was the the Conjuring's um, goal, it succeeded. Right. So, so you know what I mean. So you can you can have a poignant thematic, whatever it is. I don't I don't care whether you want me to pray or whether you want me to understand. Let's say like the the unfamiliar better and face your demons. I don't know what what your thematic is. Whatever your thematic is, you can put it in a horror film. And audiences will go there with you and they'll go to a very dark place and they'll ask very interesting questions and they will want to have light on it. And I think that's yeah. really brave and I think that's amazing. And I've, I've discovered this in, in doing the, the unfamiliar and I'm so excited about it that we want to do another one. You know, like I've done a yeah. lot of comedies and I want to do another horror film. You know? so, <laughs> so I think that's, that's quite amazing of the genre. Yeah, sure. yeah absolutely. Um, Hey, shifting gears just a little bit. I mean, there are some horror films that I've heard that are actually banned in your home country. Um, can you tell, you know, the audience listening, uh, what are those films? And, and can you tell us a little bit about, you know, maybe why they were banned? Uh, yeah, that's that's actually a very good observation. I think obviously post-1994, um, the banning sort of stopped. You know, there was a massive censorship drive in the country. And they used to ban everything from comedies like The Life of Brian to, you know, the the, the cruising film from Tino all the way to, you know, Clockwork Orange, you know, those kinds of things were very taboo. You know, it was, it was a very conservative place. I mean, pre 1994, um, it was extremely conservative, very nationalistic. You know, the country was run a little bit differently. So those films were very, very, you know, difficult to see. I mean, at a stage I was speaking to my father-in-law, he, um, uh, he works for the film publication board in South Africa on censorship. And they even, they banned at a stage they banned black beauty not knowing that it was about a horse they just banned it because of the title so they were so strict in like the 80s and the 90s in south africa that it was really really tough to get anything that would either be anti-establishment or would be you know taboo or to do with prostitution and and horror especially you know i think um, and i'm speaking a correction but some of the exorcist films as well there was no way they were going to you know bring them into into the country i mean so you would hear about it and i was at school I was in English school and then you'd have friends who have family, you know, who are, who are very British and they, and they come abroad and they bring the VHS tapes like contraband to the country. And you go to someone's house and watch <laughs> The Exorcist secretly in a on a VHS tape. But yeah, so so the big thing around it was just, you know, it it was it was very government enforced and it was it was quite a strong censorship. So then post 95, you know, you remember, I mean, I mean, I'm a bit older than you guys, probably, but remember those blockbuster video shops where you had all the videos and then all of a sudden, the horror section grew tenfold, you know, post-1994. It's like, wow, there's like 10 of that. There's 20 of those. So, <laughs> so things changed quite a bit. And then that's when I realized how the horror was such a huge genre. You know, it was it's the one genre that I noted as a kid going, wow, it's the most sequels, prequels, remakes, and even crossovers. Like, this horror character is going to meet that horror character, and they're going to make a movie about it. It was just this amazing like world of film and ideas and 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 for that reason you know Hank and I were speaking about the other day we find it it's a very intelligent genre because it goes in so many different directions and and a lot of people are afraid of it so they don't even delve in it and some people just don't want to understand it but I, I think it's a very intelligent and a very um it's a very interesting genre to delve into yeah absolutely. oh definitely uh this was really fun guys uh we really appreciate you joining us 
Do you want to tell the audience a little bit more about maybe when the trailer is coming out or when the film is releasing? Uh, so the trailer is coming out on the 24th of July. The film is releasing in the States on the 21st of August. And, uh, uh, and, and then, the, well, if, you, if you're in the UK, the 11th of September. But um, the best is to fi- find us on social media at unfamiliarmovie.com. Yeah, so, so that's basically... I think I think we're going to do so many cool, unique things because we're all sitting at home trying to entertain ourselves that <laughs> right. you should really go check us out on socials because uh, we, we, we get bored quite quickly. So we're going to do all kinds of stuff and we've got yeah. great people helping us with it. Yeah. Yeah. You oh, guys, yeah, you guys really should check this out. And I can't wait until that trailer drops because I'm telling you, it's going to it's going to impress a lot of people. It, it, I, I was very impressed when I saw it. So you guys, I, without even seeing the movie, I know you guys have done a great job and I uh, can't wait to watch it myself. Thank you so Thank much, you. Brian. Oh yeah, the trailer was great. I, I, I we're not promoting any other movies, but I got a lot of you know Conjuring vibes, uh, and I'm not gonna name all the other ones because this isn't about them. But I got a yeah. lot of vibes and references to other horror films that I love in watching this nice. trailer, and, and I'm really excited to watch this movie honestly, and and we'll review it too whenever it comes out after we get to watch it and take notes on it. We'll definitely review it on our podcast and. And we and we'll no, even we'll have so, y'all back on if you yeah, want to join. We'd love to have you back. Oh, yeah. oh that'll be fan- that'll oh, be that'll fantastic. Be awesome. Okay, thank you so much, yeah. man. I appreciate the yeah. support. I, I love that kind of horror movie that y'all are making in the unfamiliar. It's, you know, I love slasher movies. Obviously, my background is Jason Voorhees, but I, I I love the that that genre of the horror. It makes you think. It's it's deeper than just a masked guy killing people. You have to think and pay attention. And I, I love that. And I'm yeah. really I'm honestly looking forward to watching this movie. Uh, awesome. Yeah, th- and thank you very much for for talking to us uh, just after you saw the trailer. We really appreciate it because yeah, yeah, yeah it, it's it's like the algorithms are the gatekeepers at the moment. Right. You're and right. All these, you're right. you know what I mean? Like like they will either let you in or not. You know. Right. And and these podcasts helps us so much because our yeah. name gets mentioned, our film gets mentioned. And mm. we're just getting closer and closer, closer to being important by the internet, and then we get seen. So we want to. We've made a really. Uh, we've made a film that we really believe in. We want to get it to the audience. So you guys really help us. Thank you very much for that. Yeah, that's been great. Really appreciate the support, guys. Oh no problem. We really appreciate you joining us. Honestly, this was fun. Thank you, guys. Y'all stay safe, Thanks, guys. Bye. bye And I uh, just want to remind everybody to uh, don't go out there.
You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.